Welcome to the Weekly Warrior Podcast, where we are forging genuine human connection through fitness, health, mindset, and nutrition. Let's get to the show with your hosts, Jared Bradford, Connor Edelbrock, and Corey Mueller. I'm drop dead sexy. Look at my titties. <laughs> I'm dead sexy. Hello, warriors, and welcome to episode 139. It is part two of the patriotic life of Benedict Arnold. I'm joined here today by my co-host, Jared Bradford, otherwise referred to as Bones, and my name is Corey. If this is your first time dropping into the Weekly Warrior podcast, Welcome. And strap in. And actually, what you probably should do first is go listen to episode 137, which is part one of the patriotic life of Benedict Arnold. Bones, how you doing? I'm pretty well. Thank you for asking. Mustache looks good. My Hell head yeah. feels good. And we got new microphones. This is a good thing. Got new mics. We got new lights. Like got new uh, lights. Things are things are looking up here in the booth. And Sound quality has probably drastically <laughs> escalated. <laughs> I literally had just saw that you named yourself Brozevelt. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy Brozevelt. <laughs> I, I didn't see that till just now. That's great. We should make a shirt, bro, Teddy Brozevelt. That'd be great. Teddy Brozevelt, somehow with a like caricaturized version of me as Teddy yeah. Brozevelt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holding a whiskey and a gun. <laughs> Teddy Bros. Just, just a way over the top thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. If you guys like that idea, let it, let us know. We'll make it. Yeah. Speaking of t-shirts, actually, we just, so the t-shirts oh, just yeah. got delivered. Uh, we ran our first line of weekly warrior podcast t-shirts. We have like three of them left. I believe we have some larges and some mediums left. So if you're someone who fits in a large or a medium t-shirt, this is the first run. There won't be another one like it. Uh, we are almost sold out of them, and it's a great way to support the podcast. And they're super cool. We designed them ourselves with our new logo and uh, a nice little custom logo that Bones did on the back. And their material is soft and fits right in all the right places. And let me tell you, it's good. It's real good. God, you sound good saying that. And I'll, I'll say <laughs> one more thing about the T-shirts is that... Yep. You you can what I'm gonna do for you and you at home can also do this as well. It doesn't have to be a t-shirt. You can cut the sleeves off, become them like cool. Hell you can, yeah! You can make it a crop, right? You can do a lot of cool things. So I think for you, Corey, I'm gonna send you guys a, a nice cropped off sleeveless shirt, just because mm. I know how you like to breathe in the air when you're do. working and doing things like that. I, so yeah, that's sleeveless shirts are my jam. Yeah, nice crop top. So. So if you're interested in a t-shirt, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and we will get it sorted out as quickly as possible. Like I said, I think we have, do we have five remaining shirts? We have a couple larges, couple larges, couple mediums, so pretty limited. The other uh, equally, well, probably more beneficial way to support right now is if you guys, after this episode, can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a rating and a review Here's what I'd like, and we started doing this as an experiment. I would like you guys to go and just give a couple sentences or a sentence even about something from this episode that struck you, struck a chord, 
and put it in your review because it is hard to leave reviews for the podcast sometimes. And I know this from experience because we've started to do the same. So I don't want you to just go and try to think of something to say. Pick out something from this episode that you liked or that resonated and drop it in that review box. And let me tell you why we need the reviews. The internet runs on algorithms, right? So the internet is a series of tubes and those tubes get lubricated by the uh, the reviews and the ratings that you leave. So every time you leave us a rating and a review, and it doesn't even have to be a good one, just leave us one, the tubes get more lubricated, and our podcast flows through more better into people's phones and computers while they drive to work or, uh, you know, whatever, wherever you listen to your podcast. And so that's why we need the ratings and reviews, because we need, we're trying to reach more people. We're trying to grow the audience, and that's the way to do it. And I know we have plenty of you who have not left a rating or a review. So for God's sake, go do it. What the do fuck? Do it quickly. Also, we got our first negative review, so thank you for that. I liked it. You guys are our lubricant. You so are the lubricant that makes this lubricant. go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, and- let's get into our, our first sponsor, uh, Apsy Farms. Let's talk about them for a hot oh. second. Man, I'd love to talk about Apsy Farms. Kyle, Kyle, if you're listening, I just want to say hello. I want you to say hello to all your family as well. I always love coming down to the farm. We were down to the farm a couple weeks ago, picked up some meats. We got chicken wings. We got bone marrow, like the big femur bones that were canoe cut. We got some steaks. And let me tell you a thing about Apsy Farms. It is set in the pristine Rolling hills just outside of Reed City, Michigan, where green grass Mm. flows in the wind. And Mm. we actually got to pet the cows. The one we got to specifically pet, her name was Bessie. And let me tell you, these cows are very well taken care of. They fertilize the ground with their own excrement. Um, They eat the grass. They're like virtual lawnmowers. And they get shifted uh, rotationally throughout the different pastures. They have about 300 acres of property and those cows get shifted around and it's pretty impressive to watch them work. And it's also so nice to see how happy the cows are. And here's another reason why you should buy from Apsi Farms or another regenerative agriculture style farm. It's good for the earth. This is how we're going to rebuild our microbiome through the soil. We're going we're gonna to eat that carbon out of the atmosphere and it's going to become oxygen it's going to make the earth a healthier place. And that is what Apsi Farms is all about. So here's what you need to do. You're going to go to apsifarms.com and you are going to build yourself a meat box. It can be full of beef, chicken, pork, eggs, whatever you might like during these days. And then you're going to go to checkout. You're going to type in your little credit card number and your little address. And you're going to make sure you use the code WARRIOR10. I've had a couple of you not use this code. for everybody. So don't wait. Do it today. Your family will not regret it. You will not regret it. And Mother Earth will thank you for generations to come. So, Bones, are you ready to get into part two of Benedict Arnold? Dude, I was born ready. I don't know if I was born ready, but at least for about a week I've been ready. So (laughs) this is part two. Part one was our previous episode, so you have not listened to that. What are you doing here? This you've gone way too far, about about seven minutes too far. Go back, listen to that one. And and first of all, let me just say, I I messed a few things up in the first episode, and I don't I don't appreciate all the hate mail, 
and the threats that have been pouring into my inbox. <laughs> okay. I'm not a historian. I make mistakes. Okay. I'm a human. Boston is in Massachusetts. That's the big one. Uh, I think that's about the only one. Boston is in Massachusetts. I also, <laughs> I, I was so firmly believing my own lie about Eggs Benedict being named yeah, after Benedict also, Arnold. I debunked that one pretty quickly, but unfortunately it was not You did. True. I mean, you were conv- <laughs> you were convicted and you were convinced and yeah. you said it with such conviction that I was like, huh, must be. But it's not. It's not yeah. named after him. So no. anyways, um, so part one, go listen to that first if you have not. This is part two and we are beginning this story in April of 1775. <laughs> spread fast about uh, the Battle of Lexington and Concord throughout the colonies and that the British were the aggressors. So committees and governors throughout agreed that they sought their duty to exert their utmost strength to save our country from absolute slavery from the British. So news of the fighting reached New Haven and Benedict Arnold the next day. When recalling that day, he stated, quote, when the war commenced, I was in easy circumstances and enjoyed a fair prospect of improving them. I was happy in domestic connections and blessed with a rising family who claimed my care and attention. So he's living the good life. His business is booming. He's doing very well in the shipping trade. He's, he was a smuggler, so he's smuggling. Uh, he's got that pretty much down pat. He's doing very well for himself. Now this war is on his doorstep. Um, so he dropped his business and his family, who were both dependent on him, and joined the war effort as captain of the foot guards. So remember, the foot guards were the militia that were, was formed in New Haven, and they named Benedict as their captain. So he, he says, you know, it's time to go to work, boys. Um, he says, quote, the liberties of my country were in danger. The voice of my country called upon all her faithful sons to join in her defense. With cheerfulness, I obeyed the call. I was one of the first ones in the field. The British can gargle on my cargo. Fuck them, boys. <laughs> Another epic quote from history. <laughs> yeah, I don't... That seems pretty much up the alley of what he would say. So. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, so he's like, he's ready to go, man. He's, he's pumped. Uh, but many of the towns in the colonies were reluctant to actually send militias. Uh, New Haven was an example of, of cautious elders that wanted to wait to have more information before sending the foot guards. So people are kind of skeptical about what happened at Lexington and Concord. They thought mm-hmm. people in Massachusetts were hotheads and maybe the colonists provoked the fight. And it's still unknown who fired the first shot at Lexington. It's a shot heard around the world. No one knows who shot it. The colonists at Concord were amassing huge stockpiles of arms and ammunitions, so it was a signal of treason in a lot of these people's eyes. Um, and they shouldn't encourage it or take too easily of that because uh, the British were in control. Um, so that's what the elders were saying in New Haven. Arnold ignored the elders' decision-making. The next morning, he mustered his men up to town square had them dressed for battle, and asked for volunteers to march to Massachusetts. Many men came forward, including some Yale students. Remember, Arnold was supposed to go to Yale. 
the town cheered loudly for them. But the volunteers were not armed and needed uniforms, so Benedict sent a lieutenant to get the keys to the militia stockpiles from uh, General David Wooster, who was New Haven's commander and superior to Benedict. So Wooster didn't like Arnold's plan of getting these people together and marching to Massachusetts and forbade him from taking uh, all these volunteers and all of them to Boston. But Benedict, Benedict had the town and all of its people at his backing. Um, so he wouldn't be denied. He gave his general five minutes to hand over the keys or he would break the door down and take the guns needed. Wooster returned shortly later with the keys. Benedict and his men marched to Matt. Man, that's pretty, it sounds pretty heroic. He didn't take no for an yeah. answer. Yeah, he, he ignored the elders and he ignored the general above him and was like, yeah. you know, I'm, we're going. Like, this is the he right made a call, he was passionate about it and he did what he felt was right. Yeah, and people had his back. That was the thing. He had a lot of social pressure that was on his side from the people. Right. So right. Arnold had an immediate impact on the war effort. He, he wasn't really known on the big scale uh, throughout the colonies, but like you know, in the shipping trade, he was very popular. Um, he was eager to prove himself. He was wicked smart when it came to strategy and sailing and was familiar with the surrounding forts and areas because he explored them as a kid growing up and he's been doing this for years now as he's in his thirties at this point. Um, so he's been shipping for a while. He convinced the committee at, and Cambridge where he had his men housed. So they marched to Cambridge university and there's just this huge amassment of men and volunteers. Basically they're just like, we're going to war and it's chaotic. There's no leadership. It's just like a scramble, right? So he, he marched there, he and his men, he had his men housed along with hundreds of other regiments. Um, they were getting ready to attack Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, when he and his men marched out, they found that the fort was already being marched on. So this led to a lot of leadership tensions. Um, there's a guy named Ethan Allen who was leading the Green Mountain Boys to overtake the fort. Uh, and this Ethan Allen wasn't at Cambridge. He came from somewhere else. And they, they, they're all just trying to converge on Fort Ticonderoga. So Arnold pulls up and basically says that he was commissioned by the Massachusetts Congress that he and his men were taking the fort. So Ethan Allen and the Green Mountain Boys are like, fuck you, dude. We've been playing this for a while. All the while, Benedict's men were days behind him because Benedict had to ride ahead to catch up to Ethan Allen once he heard that people were taking the fort in front of him. It's almost like a, a struggle to be like, we want to do the work to get the recognition. Because um, at this point in the early war, there is no leadership there. Or there's not you know, like solid leadership. It's very scattered and unorganized. So people are just kind of trying to claw their way into relevancy. Uh, so, yeah, he had to ride up. His men were days behind him. So once he caught up. He tried to assume leadership role since he was commissioned by the Massachusetts Congress. The days following Lexington and Concord were super confusing, frantic, no true leadership. Like I said, strategy or organization was really not there yet. Eventually, Ethan Allen, the Green Mountain Boys, agreed to team up with Benedict. But Benedict was not the leader because he didn't have his men and Allen's men didn't want to follow a stranger regardless of Benedict's commission to lead an army to take the fort. So 
Benedict agreed to back off and hoped that his men would show up before they take the fort. But, of course, they didn't make it in time. So, when they began their attack on the fort, uh, their plan was to have 250 men take the docks. This didn't work out because Ethan Allen and his men didn't assemble the boats ahead of time. Mm. So, they were supposed to like take boats, dumb the river, cross a lake, and then take the docks. But they were like, no one made boats. So, yeah, it seemed like... Can't go up the river if you don't have boats. Yeah. They wanted to take the docks before sunrise, and because of this, only 80 out of the 250 men made it to this point. Ethan Allen played an audible and uh, took a small group of men through a tunnel into the fort. He knocked down a guard and ordered him for directions to the fort commander. Following these directions, Benedict and Ethan Allen led the way as they overtook the British soldiers inside and forced their surrender. Ethan Allen demanded the commander's surrender, to which he did, as the British commander had little option. Uh, The Green Mountain Boys pillaged the fort. Its supplies were all broke into, the rum was broken into especially. Uh, Benedict played a large role in taking the fort and helping Ethan Allen assume command. And he helped recover that screwed up plan about the boats in the beginning. So he was calling audibles, like while the, while the attack is happening, Benedict's out there calling audibles, making shit happen, putting out some fires and redirecting and moving forward. Essentially. Yes. So he played a big role in like, Hey, this plan's not working right when we started, it started to fall apart. And he's like, no, let's go through this tunnel. And then he and Ethan Allen, some boys, went up and, and basically took the fort that way. Um, so Ethan Allen wrote to the Massachusetts Congress about their victory. He omitted any mention of Arnold mm. and aggressively praised his own men, the Green Mountain mm. Boys. I, I was just thinking, I, so after our last episode, I did a little bit of not much research, but some research. And what you just said rings like... There's a theme here. He gave credit to his own men and not to Benedict, who maybe deserved the credit. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna share any spoilers yet, because um, I'm gonna see if I'm gonna. I'm gonna give some context later on if you if you don't hit some of it about a battle that is extremely crucial. But it just made me giggle because it's like, yeah, this theme is uh is it's it's. A lot, it happens all the time in Benedict Arnold's life, and it starts to make a lot more sense why he, why he did what he did. I think a lot more people would understand that if they knew more about it. You weren't supposed to go uh, research, man. Did you? Forget? It was just one battle. I researched one now battle. You know the, now you know the whole story. All right. No, I don't. Yeah, we're going to get to it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, uh, that is a great point, though. This... This, well, let's just continue. So Ethan Allen wrote, he wrote Benedict, no mention of Benedict, not even anything. So Benedict wrote to the Massachusetts Committee of Safety who commissioned him to take the fort and painted a different story. He told of the men pillaging the, fo- uh, the food and drink that it was clear anarchy with poor leadership and the men paid no attention to their service to hold the fort. Which, as it's described more, in the book that I'm taking this from, it seemed like that kind of lined up. Uh, the Green Mountain Boys pretty much went in and took all the rum and, and supplies and just 
hmm. at a party. It seemed like just celebrating. Yeah. Um, so at this time, like I said, the whole war effort is just scattered bullshit at this point. There's nothing organized. Uh, Ethan Allen assumed control of the fort. There was a lot of confusion because this other commission thought Benedict was lying about his orders to take a fort. So basically, Ethan Allen, the Green Mountain Boys, thought he was lying. A lot of documents had to be sent to prove he was appointed and legit. Arnold did everything right, though. He presented a plan to take the fort to the, to the Congress. He got funding and direct orders to fulfill this plan and was sent away quickly to do it with his men. Ethan Allen got in the way. Granted, at this time, there's no way to, for Ethan Allen to know that a commission happened because he's coming from totally somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, the leadership soon changed and Benedict was put in charge. More forts in the region uh, were taken and soon vessels were taken and placed at these forts to reinforce them. The back and forth between Arnold and Allen continued about who would be in charge of these forts and men. Uh, Allen would vilify Arnold, which was uh, complete bullshit and, and made up in order to give rise to him and his men. Arnold would play the rules and fulfill his duties for amassing forts and supplies for the war effort as commissioned. So the Massachusetts Provisional Congress, who originally was skeptical of Arnold, soon wrote to him, quote, We assure you that we place the greatest confidence in your fidelity, knowledge, courage, and good conduct. They wanted Arnold to take command of additional troops sent from Connecticut, New York, and Massachusetts. So they're sending more troops into, into Ticonderoga. Uh, he agreed. But the Continental Congress down in Philadelphia got involved at this point since it was such a large gathering of troops and forts. And at now, since Continental Congress takes over, they are the ones promoting leadership. So they could unseat Arnold of his leadership role at this point. Right. Before, we're talking about the Massachusetts Congress, which is a state colony level. Right. Um, so... Philly comes in and is like, no, we'll take it from here, boys. Kind of like the FBI. We'll take it from here. Yeah. <laughs> this um, is our case now. So, yeah, he's under the orders of the Continental Congress now. Uh, even though the uppities in Massachusetts are high on Arnold, the Continental Congress decided that all of the troops at Cambridge, uh, where he originally marched to, and all of the arms, ammunition, ammunition, supplies, and forts would be under new leadership and that Benedict was to report to them a detailed supply list of what they have going and what they might need as new leadership came in. The Continental Congress gave leadership to George Washington of Virginia. Arnold did provide a detailed and thorough list of supplies and needs of the men and the fort. At this point, the fort needed supplies pretty badly, and the Continental Congress was reluctant to send it. Uh, so Benedict invested over 1,000 pounds of his own money hmm. to keep the rebellion afloat. This was, yeah, this was about a quarter million dollars in today's money. Yeah, it's a lot. He is a, a fuck ton. Uh, and he asked to be reimbursed. But the Congress was more interested in his detailing of where the public funding had gone to and where it will go. He would continually protest to the Congress and their decision-making. They would send people out to check on his role and commander and the state of the fort. Uh, In one circumstance, they told Arnold that 
only the men able to continue fighting were to be paid. Mm. So those that were sick or injured in the fort, which there were plenty at this point because supplies are kind of dwindling, um, were going to be paid. So sick, injured, you're, you're not going to be paid. Uh, he fought back to get his men paid, and the Congress eventually did yield, but only when the healthy men protested and, and threatened a mutiny um, unless everybody was paid. So he's trying to look after his boys. Uh, Benedict was pissed that he had to relinquish his leadership role to Washington, who was the same rank as him at the time. On top of that, the Congress uh, ordered his personal men from New Haven under new leadership as well. So Benedict refused to relinquish his command to what were the foot guards and instead disbanded them. We're like, Mm. if I can't control you, then you just, you're, you guys are done. Get out of here. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, it didn't do much because they were pretty far from home and they just rejoined under new commanders. So that was the end of the foot guards. He disbanded them at that point. As Benedict was leaving the area of Ticonderoga, the residents around the fort expressed their gratitude for him. Basically, they would have been screwed if it wasn't for him and his men coming in and taking over the British forts because the lockdowns in Boston just would have trickled out to them. Mm-hmm. So he supplied them with provisions, with safety, and they thanked him for his, quote, humanity and benevolence. Everyone around the fort is just loving him. Yeah. Uh, same way in New Haven. They loved him in New Haven. So. This gratitude was in stark contrast to what other leaders, such as uh, John Brown, commander of the Massachusetts Army, said about Arnold. Because of the lack of provisions, growing number of sick men, and lack of gunpowder, they thought he was a shit leader. The truth was that he had no supply chain or line of currency coming in besides his own. So it was a pretty dreary situation. Congress isn't exactly funding them right now. They're wondering where their public funds are going to go and where they have gone, and they're not sending anything until they get that. So Arnold didn't hold back in his report to the situation to Continental Congress. He basically let them have it and saying that they're not funding the war effort. So yeah, it's shitty. But they responded and they were like, yeah, well, fuck you. And they recalled him. So Arnold had to go and appear before them to tell his story. So it goes beyond just reports and letters at this point. They're like, you're recalled, you're done at Ticonderoga with everything. We've sent in General Washington, and you can yeah. come and talk to us in person. Yeah. Um, so a tough situation, and to make it worse, it was around this time that his wife Peggy died. Benedict rode home quickly to his three sons and his sister, Hannah, and was obviously deeply saddened by this loss. At this time, he had a severe case of gout that flared up while he was at home, which left him bedridden for days. You know what gout is? What is gout, though? Gout is... Let's tell the listeners. So gout is an irritated joint, um, sometimes around your fingers, around your foot. Uh, It's a type of arthritis, so it's within the joint that causes inflammation of the joints. It like it swells up and it's extremely painful and it, it's kind of hard to get rid of. I see commercials um, about it on TV. Yeah, usually people that are not very healthy get it. So, what was the what was the time frame with all this? Where what year are we in currently? We're still in 1775. Okay, all right. So we are yeah, kind of time is going by, but they just took Ticonderoga. Men are amassing. Things are starting to get rolling 
with the Revolutionary War, but it's relatively early stages still. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I couldn't remember what you said about time. Um, so I was just trying to get a sense of where we were at. So 1775. Yep. So Peggy just died. He, he rode home. He has gout. He's in bed for days. Um, but Bar- <laughs> Arnold, uh, Arnold had to report to the Massachusetts Congress. So he left New Haven and decided he would join the army as a volunteer once his meeting was done. So he's just like, fuck it. I'm going to be a leader. I'm just going to join because I need to fight for my country. So this guy, this guy, uh, Philip Schuler, I think his name's Schuler. Um, he was commander of Washington's North Department, which um, they called it the North Department. It was the Army of Men, formerly under Benedict's command at Ticonderoga. Mm, basically, okay. uh, they just renamed it the North Department. Uh, this guy, Philip Schuler, he was very impressed with Benedict. Uh, this was a major general in the in the American army. He wanted to appoint Benedict to general of his department, but the Continental Congress insisted that they handle all leadership appointments. So leadership appointments go through Congress, not through the individual uh, people like uh, not the, like Washington, right? So others vouched for Benedict, such as Barnabas Dean, who stated. Colonel Arnold has been greatly abused and misrepresented by designing persons. Had it not been for him, everything would have been in the utmost confusion and disorder. People would have been plundered of their private property, and no man's person would be safe. His men are vouching for him. Yeah, basically. Yep. yep. And again, the word is getting out uh, on the grassroots level that this guy is guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so. This appointment was going on. He presented himself in front of the Massachusetts Congress. They let Arnold have it for letting the situation get so dire and for assuming command over Ethan Allen, and they berated him for going home before they came, he came to see them. Of course, he went home because his wife died and he had three <laughs> small sons, aged three to seven. So that's kind of shitty. Yeah, he went home because <laughs> he needed to. <laughs> Yeah, he's got three sons. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It seems a bit unfair, but, you know, the Congress is also very back and forth, and it's very, very political and kind of hard to follow because at some points they're like, yeah, you're doing great. And then they'll get, like, insiders inside of Congress, and they'll be like, Arnold spits in. He spit in your drinking water. And they'll be like, hey, Arnold, go die. Uh, So it's, it's very back and forth. So... They, they berated him like, well, dude, why didn't you come see us? And he's like, hey, my wife died. So they appointed a committee to deal with Arnold. Unbeknownst to anyone, a member of that committee, Dr. Benjamin Church, was passing information along to the British. Hmm. He was found several weeks later and arrested. It's just interesting because we know what Benedict Arnold is known for, but the shit was going on everywhere. Yeah. Um, and Arnold's story is very different, which we're getting to. So... Uh, he that guy was arrested. The committee grilled Arnold for his use of public funds. They audited every single expense that he said he made to keep the fort and surrounding area going. They said he would not be reimbursed the full amount of his own money that he put in. George Washington urged members to basically let it go against Arnold. So Washington really liked Benedict and respected him greatly for his role so far. Washington was now commander in chief of the whole shebang. And Benedict would sneak away while being audited to discuss war strategy and taking Quebec with Washington. Mm -hmm. 
So George agreed to the idea, and Benedict wrote to the Continental Congress outlining his plan. He knew the area pretty well from shipping and trade. He thought that by taking Quebec and Montreal, he could impact British trade and basically squeeze them until harmony was restored between the colonies and the British. At this time, Quebec and Montreal were under British rule. They weren't under the French. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was They referred to it as Canada, but it wasn't French. Uh, they British controlled it. I think Canada has gone back and forth between a lot of people, especially certain territories have been French, British, British, French, you know, sort of interchangeable. So he thought like, hey, we'll squeeze Montreal and Quebec. That'll cut off their trade. People wanted the war to end. I think that's the thing. Everybody wanted it over. It was a horrible thing so far. Uh, The Battle of Bunker Hill had already taken place. A bunch of Americans and citizens died there defending their homes and their land. Uh, Both sides were wanting it to be over. But I mean, you want to win, right? Mm, Both sides wanted to win. Yeah. Um, So Benedict thought it was a good way to win without shedding more blood and losing men and thought that Canada was pretty vulnerable. He was right. It was extremely vulnerable. But at the time, people were unsure. The Continental Congress agreed to this plan to take Montreal and Quebec and put General Schuler, who liked Benedict, in command. George Washington was super pumped about the invasion of Canada into British-controlled territory. Basically, there were, there were two paths, paths into Montreal. There was the trade route, which was the main route for all traffic, and there was a secret route through the main wilderness that the orcs don't know it, orcs don't use it, and it was very <laughs> difficult to get through, right? Um, it was just... They knew about this route from a Canadian officer who apparently wrote a journal about his journey that he went through the main wilderness. So like, oh, this guy did it. Here's his journal telling us directions. Yeah. But some information was left out. So Washington and Benedict didn't know the extent of the difficulty that this route took. It's the back door into Mordor. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it was horrible. I mean, think about the time, dude. It's 1770s. Like, there's not much going on besides like one road. Yeah. They're going through thick bush trees uh right. famine, unpredictable waterways ponds bogs make it difficult um at the time the two men washington and benedict weren't really aware of how bad it would get so washington sent Schuler uh, and his army on the main route and sent benedict and a group of about 1100 men on a secret mission through the forest to surprise the british army it's what it seemed like basically Frank flank them before meeting up with the main army. Hmm. So uh, George Washington had full faith in Benedict, regardless of his ongoing investigation by uh, the Massachusetts Congress. He said, quote, the merit of this gentleman is certainly great. And I heartedly wish that fortune may distinguish him as one of her favorites. Hmm. So as they began to set out, Arnold saw to it that every soldier got a new coat as they were poorly clothed, which when I read that, I was like, man, that a great guy. What a good guy. Yeah. It's, it's going on winter. So it's, this is going on winter 1775. I believe this is another repeating theme is he is seen. He cares about the people around him. He cares about his soldiers. When he was in the fort, he cared about the soldiers and the people around the fort, the civilians. It -hmm. seems like it's a, a pretty repetitive theme. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I also thought, huh, that was probably expensive. <laughs> yeah. And he's getting, you know, he's getting audited for like right. misuse of funds. So like maybe there's a bit of truth to both. 
They need new jackets. But either way, so. yeah, either way, like spend the fucking money and get these right. boys some coats or they're going to die. Right. So totally. Yeah. I mean, you, it's definitely in Arnold's favor on that one. So they, they began this journey into the wilderness uh, to not go well. It was treacherous land. Most of it was without an actual trail. And they had to carry hundreds of pounds of supplies as well mm. as their heavy boats through bogs and upstream rivers. Yeah, it sounds awful. Yeah, it's just if you've ever been hiking on a trail, you know how difficult that could be on its own. But to go through just like trees and trees have, that have fallen and just what? A, yeah, imagine, imagine wilderness that have no trails like you're on a trail and you look off into the woods and you're hiking through that. <laughs> exactly. What a great way to put it. You're hiking through that. Uh, so not to mention, like I said, winter is setting in. And since progress was slow, food became short. Uh, the men were getting sick. Arnold had to erect a hospital and stall mm. progress for seven days at one point. Um, but Benedict did his best to keep spirits high among the men. Heavy rains came in, uh, which raised the river about nine feet. Uh, they kept losing more and more supplies. Arnold sent back the sick men and allowed the strong to continue. So he had to send back a couple hundred people. Mm-hmm. Some men wouldn't eat for five days as they mm-hmm. marched. Arnold went ahead and found friendly Frenchmen, which he bought supplies from and had sent back to his men. So the men fucking loved Benedict. He was fair and honest with them. He knew them by name, Mm -hmm. every single one of them, and he knew how to lift their spirits. So there's a very interesting story about a 17-year-old kid in his ranks at the time that grew very weak during this trek, and Benedict rode up to his side as they marched, dismounted his horse, knew his name, examined him quickly. He rode ahead to find help for the kid and found a Frenchman, gave the kid two silver dollars to give to the Frenchman in exchange for help. And that kid ended up, you know, being cool and caught up with the, with the army later on. Right. Uh, so, again, details, right? Just, like, seems like a fucking dope guy to work for. Yeah. Uh, Arnold picked up natives along the way also and convinced them to join his fight. One sheep nicknamed him the Dark Eagle. Hmm. That's pretty badass. That's fucking badass. He kind of like... Dark I, Eagle. I looked at it as... What's, what's our national animal? The American the Eagle, bald eagle, right? The Bald Eagle. Yeah. And he's the Dark Eagle. So in a way, how like weird and fitting is that? Because we know where this is going, if you yeah. know with this name. If you don't, then, you know, strap in. But he literally is the most patriotic dude, but he's a dark horse. Yeah, he kind of, I mean, he does things, you know, we talked about Patton a couple weeks ago. And he does things sort of against the grain. He goes against the standard procedures, but he gets shit done. And when people don't appreciate that, you know he turned coat because he's like, well, if they're not going to appreciate me, then I bet someone else will. Yeah. And he knew he thought that his way was the best. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and you, that really works out. And sometimes your way actually is best and other times it's not. Right. Yeah. I guess it's better. It's better to like do in these types of circumstances, just do things, make, just act. He was just right. acting, yeah. He wasn't talking about it. He was just acting. Exactly. Uh, they finally made it to their destination and ended up with 675 men compared to the 1,100 that started the mission. 
Yeah, the invasion of Canada did not go super well at all. Ethan Allen, remember that guy, and John Brown, two commanders who hated Benedict, hated Benedict, were in the main army with uh, Schuler. The main attack was not underway yet, but the Americans laid siege to Montreal. Allen was tasked with finding Canadian recruits to help their cause as they attacked. So basically, let's send in Ethan Allen. Let's get him to gather some Canadians. Be like, hey, America's at war with the British. We want to kick the British out. You guys can be free too. Just join us and we'll Mm -hmm. go win the thing. So, uh, yeah, that's what they sent him in to do. He said he had a few thousand men. Allen said he had a few thousand men. Um, That was a lie. He had 80. Mm. He took those recruits and with the promise of support from John Brown, who's a colonel, I believe, he attacked Montreal. So Ethan Allen kind of <laughs> went rogue with 80 men yeah. and attacked Montreal because John Brown was like, yeah, I'll have your back. And Brown never showed up. Dang. <laughs> so Ethan Allen was easily defeated. Yeah. And he ended up being shipped off to England in chains. <laughs> so he fucked up. Yep. He gone. Eventually, Montreal fell to the siege and the Americans took over. So now marched, uh, now they marched to meet Benedict to take Quebec. Washington and the other generals were super hype for, for Benedict that he made it through the wilderness and was ready to take Quebec. Um, the whole time, I don't know how this works back then, but you could just send letters. Maybe like you have a letter boy that just comes back Yeah, and you forth. have runners. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, runners. But dude, what a crazy job that is. Because, I mean, you're just sending letters. He was sending letters to Washington. Washington was sending letters back up on this trail. Yeah. So they're keeping in contact. And he's like, hey, man, it's not going good. And he's like, uh, keep going. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they're pumped. He made it, you know. So the siege of Quebec actually went okay. They basically cut off supplies and ordered surrender. Arnold himself went into the city and ordered the surrender. Um, they, of course, said, no, we're not surrendering. Um, so they attacked. General Montgomery was the general alongside Schuler. People love this Montgomery guy. Just This mm. guy was awesome. And uh, he was sent over to Quebec to take the city with Arnold. He ended up dying mm. during the battle when they attacked. Um, I think he was a former Montgomery was a former British general as well. Ah, um, so he, he died. Benedict got shot in the Achilles, but refused to leave the field, dragging his bleeding leg behind him. His men caught up to him before he finally turned back to the hospital. So he urged them on. It was a bloodbath. Montgomery's men turned back, but Benedict's men went forward without ammunition and used bayonets in effort to take the city. The fight wasn't going well. Leadership was wounded or dead, and many other men had died. It was snowing heavily, and doctors urged Benedict to flee for the countryside, but he refused. Benedict was now in full command of the army at Quebec since Montgomery died. But he was in a ton of pain from his wound. The British took many as prisoners, but reportedly treated them very humanely, to Arnold's surprise. He wrote to General Wooster, who was Montgomery's second-in-command in in Montreal, asking for help, but Wooster refused. You remember Wooster from earlier? Yep. Didn't like that plan. Arnold was like, give me the keys. Wooster's like, ah. 
Uh, and he's like, give me the keys. And Wooster's like, oh, uh, I Dan. <laughs> I Dan. <laughs> I, I'm out. But he's back, and uh, he refused to send men to help the cause at Quebec for whatever reason. He actually did end up sending a few New York men, but he didn't send any guns or ammunition supplies with them. It's just like, hey, here's some flesh. Um, so they're pretty, Benedict and Quebec, they're pretty fucked at this point. What started yeah. as a pretty good siege of, of like, let's talk this out. You surrender and you go away. Um, kind of turned their back. It turned upside down for them. Right. The whole situation got, got screwed over. Arnold and his men had to hold out from January to April when Wooster finally sent men. So he writes to Congress asking for money, uh, Benedict does, and supplies as smallpox rages through the ranks. He asked to have a paymaster assigned to keep track of all accounts, since Congress gave him all that shit about mismanaging the war funds at Ticonderoga. But Congress denied that request and later charged him with not keeping careful accounts of expenses <laughs> in Quebec and in the wilderness. In the wilderness, if you remember, he's given out little coins to people so they can yeah, be taken care of. Right. Uh, it's it's difficult to Jesus. not take his side and really try to defend him. But I'm literally taking things from a book, which I will tell you what the book is at the end of this, and not copy and paste, but taking it out of there. And these are all from like letters and documents back in the day. Right. So it's pretty fuck, fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. They were they were coming after they were coming after him for real petty stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, you're not keeping track of what's where our funding's going. Well, people are dying of smallpox. I'm Anyways. making stuff happen out here. Like, <laughs> yeah, my boys are going in with bayonets. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> gotta think about um, my boys. Benedict is recovering from his Achilles injury. John Brown came back into the picture. Remember the guy that didn't show up? Yeah, as well as Colonel James Easton who uh, we haven't mentioned Easton before, but they both played a role in Benedict's loss of command at Ticonderoga. Neither of these guys like Benedict. They think he's just arrogant and too forward-putting. Frankly, think they think he's too good uh, or he's you know too aggressive and things right. work out for Benedict generally. Um, people really like him. It seemed like they were all kind of after the same thing, though. They all wanted to prove themselves and like go up in rank, but these two... John Brown and James Easton were in cahoots together. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're under Arnold's command in Quebec. So John Brown refused to obey an order to retrieve six mortars left after the battle, and then they fell into British hands. Brown also claimed to have been promoted by General Montgomery to colonel and deserved independent command. Easton backed him up. But Benedict wrote to John Hancock stating that Montgomery told Benedict that Colonel Easton and Major Brown were publicly impeached with plundering of officers' baggage taken at Sorrel. Sorrel mm. was MS. I don't have any info on Sorrel. Probably another battle or a city. These two guys are under impeachment and investigation. Why? And they're not to be promoted right now. That's basically what he told John Hancock. So Arnold said he could not in good conscience promote him or put him up for promotion until those matters were cleared up. Arnold noted that several other officers were witness to this conversation. So he's telling Congress these two guys need to clear things up before they're officially promoted. Montgomery told me this. Here's also some witnesses. Uh, he just 
and all Arnold, he's not trying to put him down. That's not how the writing came across. The writing came across as that he basically wanted these guys to clear up their misdeeds before being promoted with further responsibility, which seemed like a pretty reasonable thing. Um, but John Brown and Easton took it as like, you're putting us down, and that drove a stake through that relationship even further. Which right. This is going to, again, be ongoing, and uh, it's going to come back. Arnold was actually promoted to Brigadier General during his efforts in Quebec. He held the line and held up the siege, even though the attempt to take the city had been lost and he had very few men. So they're still outside of the city, um, holding them siege, at least. General Wooster marveled at his efforts in a letter to Washington. So now he's kind of coming around. Mm -hmm. So, like I said earlier, this Wooster guy, General Wooster, finally showed up to Quebec on April 1st. Arnold was still hurt, but able to ride a horse and was sent back to Montreal to hold the post there. Once Wooster took over in Quebec, the siege completely fell apart and Wooster was soon replaced. The mission to take Quebec failed as the British were forced north out of Boston and Benedict called the plan, called off the plan in a letter to General Schuler. So Arnold and his men leave Montreal stating, quote, I am content to be the last man who quits on this country and fall so that my country may rise. But mm. let us not all fall together. I thought that was a pretty badass quote. Yeah. Uh, before leaving the city, Benedict confiscated some goods from local merchants for use of the army's trip home. Later on, Arnold's internal enemies would later seize upon this claiming that he stole from the locals to enrich himself. Meanwhile, back in New Haven... Do, 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 do. Things are really cool. <laughs> Hannah is just running the business. Do, 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 do. Welcome to Walgreens. Uh, mothering Benedict's three young boys and sending news to Benedict every two weeks. Um, Benedict has his, his entire pay sent to her. So this John Brown guy back on the battlefront. Um, fuck home. Oops, I did it again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> cool, cool, cool. This John Brown guy, we got a complaint, not a complaint, but just like a, maybe just like a suggestion that we say the F word too much. So I'm trying to lay back, maybe. Uh, I don't care. I think we, wait, we decided we didn't give a fuck. So um, <laughs> this John Brown guy, his <laughs> reputation was hurt by Benedict's letter to Congress, though they were honest and true. Um, so, yeah, John Brown's like, hey, you, you, Benedict said these things um, about my promotion, and I didn't like it. They really hurt my true. feelings. Uh, it hurt my reputation. Um, so he seemed to be a bit of a snake. He felt the need to destroy Benedict in order to gain his own rank and honor. He sent 13 charges to General Gates, and Gates basically brushed them off because they were mostly personal slights. Hmm. He also claimed that Benedict knowingly spread smallpox at Quebec via <laughs> inoculation. But who gives a fuck, because Washington would also use this technique to his entire army one year later in Valley Forge. Yeah. Uh, which was extremely controversial, too, but it worked. Um, he accused him of... John Brown accused Benedict of starving his army in Quebec 
plundering the locals on his way out, like we said, of Montreal, mm-hmm. yeah. and laying waste to entire villages. And these charges were brought to Congress. Uh, Benedict had support of his superiors, though. So it's basically everybody under Benedict that's like, uh, But Congress ordered a group of officers, all junior to Benedict, to investigate, and he was court-martialed at Fort Ticonderoga on July 26. The court was... <laughs> God damn it. The court was full of Arnold's enemies and people who also didn't like General Schuler, who was... General Schuler was kind of this wealthy guy um, that didn't exactly fit in with the people of Congress. Yeah. Um, so the looting of Montreal on his way out was the most serious charge. Washington ordered Arnold to take what he needed from Montreal. But George Washington told him, take what you need. So he bought most of the supplies with his own money for his men and sent other goods to other departments and militias. There were... So these other goods that he sent away were sent to a Colonel Hazen. He marked them specifically. These were taken from merchants in the area, and these goods were labeled as such for keeping count and stock. Right? Hmm. So he purposely said, I took these from merchants, and it's labeled from merchant. I work at Walgreens. I know what to do. Right? (sighs) And he sends it away to this Colonel Hazen and says, these are from actual people. Yeah. Just to, in order to keep count, because he's been screwed by Congress twice now. Right. He's got a target on his back. Yeah. He's not dumb. Doesn't seem like it. Well, when these goods reached Hazen, Hazen basically threw everything in a giant pile, and then nothing could be sorted out or identified, even though Arnold gave an order to him to keep them in file and separate to make sure it was tracked and that it was controlled, so people knew it was controlled confiscation and not a full-out plunder. Right. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. So Arnold wrote letters to Congress stating these complaints and they ignored them and instead focused on on the charges brought on by Brown about Arnold. Uh, The court also refused to listen to a major Scott, who was a key witness to Arnold's retreat of Montreal, because they stated he was, quote, so far interested, uh, basically meaning that he was a friend of Benedict and shouldn't be trusted in this Mm. situation. He was impartial, or he was partial. Yeah, he was partial. He was partial. Yeah. So it's, they're, they're really they're coming. The court martial was so back and forth and personal, it was hard to keep track. But basically, Arnold didn't seem to do anything wrong. And these junior officers were trying to toss him out so, so they could move up in rank. Uh, Congress and its president, John Hancock, eventually saw through it and threw out the charges. So I think I was John Can- who called it like a essentially a kangaroo court. Mm. Someone called I can't remember. Oh yeah, and during during the the charges and the court martial, Arnold challenged all the members to a duel because he was <laughs> pissed. <laughs> Congress quickly placed Arnold in command of Lake Champlain at Washington's order. Apparently, there was a big battle that took place, and I kind of skipped over it because like we can't keep going into all of these. Uh, but a big naval battle took place with Arnold in command of a bunch of ships. They ended up having to retreat and their ships took a bunch of damage, uh, but they were defending New York, New York state. And even though they lost some forts, they didn't give up the state, which was the ultimate goal of the British. Uh, Arnold did have these ships built in like a month. Like they put him in charge of Lake Champlain. He's like, okay, I'm going to erect these ships. And he did. 
mm-hmm. with the help of men, obviously. Uh, he spent much of uh, this year in battle and narrowly escaping uh, he and his men from death and total defeat, but was seen as a hero because he defended these key areas successfully. So a lot of retreating, but the way in which he retreated was just like, it was strategic, super, yeah. super strategic and smart going through the woods, yep. destroying the boats when he had to just stuff like that. So his ability to retreat with him, his men and keep them alive through the forest and the winter was honorable. And George Washington and general Schuler constantly praised him in reports to Congress and throughout the colonies. But again, Benedict had enemies that were after him. John Brown wouldn't stop. Arnold wasn't in the business of pandering to the politicians. He wanted to be on the battlefield. Others, like John Brown, were. Benedict wanted to be with Washington out on the front lines defeating the British. That's what he did. He ended up meeting up with Washington on the Pennsylvania side of the Delaware River. At that time, Arnold pleaded to have three American prisoners in Quebec released and traded for, which Washington agreed to do. Then... He urged Washington to attack the lightly guarded Hessian ports in New Jersey. General Gates, who was also in attendance, urged a retreat of this area. But Washington was more in line with Arnold's tactics and agreed. George Washington, on Benedict Arnold's suggestion, crossed the Delaware River with Benedict's troops on December 21st. Seventeen seventy six, crossing of the Delaware. On Benedict Arnold's suggestion. Hmm. That's fucking crazy. Like we all hopefully know that painting yeah. of George Washington crossing the Delaware. It's iconic. Looking, yeah. Yeah. And it was like George wanted to go over there and take these places because there was more to be taken besides these ports. But Benedict was like, no, do it. Versus this general Gage, who's like very defensive and timid. He's like, No, you need to retreat. Well, the the Americans in the Revolution did so much retreating that there were times where they, I mean, they had to. And I think Benedict Arnold, as we've been learning, he's a man of action. He's a man of let's go get the damn thing done because we can only run away for so long. So Washington probably knew. He probably knew, like, we need to attack. And so having somebody encourage that was what was necessary in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. So after that, uh, Benedict went back home. He was welcomed as a hero to every town he went through. Soldiers from the battle in Quebec would tearfully thank him for his leadership. Cannons were shot off in salute to his service and heroics. His old foot guards were lined up and gave salute as he entered New Haven. So he was now in charge of recruiting the American army. Again, he he was kind of going through all uh, his, I was going to say rehab. He got shot in the Achilles, which is... Yeah substantial injury yes. if you tear your achilles nowadays you probably don't go play your sport like you used to if yeah. you rupture an achilles back then i mean what do you do life is life is drastically different and it, it is today even still and that says a lot yeah it's a horrible injury it sucks he's still dealing with his gout uh so he was now in charge of recruiting for the american army he would spend time doing this and was successful because people fucking people loved this guy. 
As he helped grow the army, Washington's command became infringed upon by Congress. They appointed junior officers to oversee Washington's decisions. He constantly pleaded to get a more professional army and proper supplies, but was constantly denied. These junior officers would come in, see what was going on, and report back without directly working with Washington. It seemed like they were kind of tattletaily in a way. Uh, this infuriated Washington. So Congress, once and for all, took over power to appoint generals. Before it was like Washington is like, hey, uh, General Corey is, or you know, Colonel Corey is, hmm. he's pretty good. We should look at him to appoint, and Congress would be like, yes or no. But now yeah. Congress is like, we're not even taking your suggestions. <laughs> um, Washington assumed that promotions would be based on seniority and merit and not on buying commissions, something done in the British Army. Congress saw this as a way for Washington to deprive them of power to appoint generals. John Adams argued, quote, Although I honor him for his good qualities, yet in this house I feel myself his superior. In private life, I shall acknowledge that he is mine. How I interpret that is John Adams says about General Washington, you have no power here in this fucking house. Yeah. But we're on the streets. Yeah. You're a man. And I'm oh, yeah. fucking little. You're in charge. Yep. I have nothing. Here's what Congress did about promotions. They agreed that three criteria must be met in order to receive a promotion. So the first one is the line of succession. The second one is the merit of the person proposed. So who you are, what you've done, are you good? The third one is new. This is the quota of troops raised by each state. Mm. This one tied the number of major generals a state could have to the number of men from that state in the ranks. So you got to have like, you know, a thousand men in order to have two major generals, something like yeah, that. Right. Right. If there's only 700 men, you only have one major general. So right. What, the, what this did, it left the door open for lobbying and favoritism, which favoritism often won. Congress quickly acted that same day that this went into effect and promoted five men to major general throughout the army and the colonies. Arnold was a brigadier general. He easily met the first two criteria. He was passed over by five men, all junior to him, with only one of them being an actual militia officer. Mm. The other four were just, you know, at the Masonic Temple in Philadelphia, just getting it on. Getting it on, drinking wine out of belly buttons. Um, <laughs> Washington was super confused and irritated that Benedict got passed over. He wrote to him and told him it must have been a mistake to wait it out and that he will make things right. But Congress wrote back to Washington and stated that Benedict didn't qualify for the rank of major general because of the third criteria. Benedict's state didn't have enough men. At the same time that Benedict was recruiting men from his state to join the American cause, Congress bent him over backwards and promoted a bunch of favorites instead. Man, politics suck. <laughs> you know, and it makes you realize that the people, so John Hancock was the president of the Continental Congress. Continental Congress basically made of John Adams, our founding fathers, right? Yes. It makes you realize that those are not the motherfuckers that were fighting this war. 
they were the people, just like our government now, that just sits back and sends people to war and makes bullshit decisions. And you make sure you realize that, yeah, not all of our founding fathers were that cool of people. No, they weren't. They a lot of them sucked. George Washington is our first president. He didn't want to be president. He didn't want to be in charge. And that's probably why he was the best choice at the time. And I think yeah. that still rings true today is the people who don't want that type of power are generally the ones who would probably do a good job because Washington had an estate. He had a life. He didn't need to be president for money or for fame. He was the general, the commander in chief. He won the war for us with help from a lot of people. But why would he want to be president? Why would he want to deal with all that bullshit when he didn't have any need to? And so Mm -hmm. having him be that first president was probably wise because we needed that guiding hand for the first few years and all, and the the founding fathers supported him. They like, they supported him in being the president. And um, I think we're probably lucky that it was him and not one of these other guys who it was the, it's the same old thing I've talked about in other episodes. We're, we're humans. We're the same, (laughs) whether it was 200 years ago, a thousand years ago or right now, Mm -hmm. like we are the same. It's just the time that we're in and it it doesn't change. Yeah. We really are the same. I mean, humans haven't changed too much besides fashion and technology. I mean, yeah, I think we try, I think we try to be better, but again, it's like the people that are in power want more power generally. And the people that don't desire those roles are generally, like I said, generally the ones that are more well suited for whatever office that, and that's what we need to look for moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those founding fathers did not a lot of them, but several did go on to become president. I mean, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, some others. And at that time, I guess it was pretty customary for when you were running for president that you didn't actually run for president. People, put you in the president and you were like, no, 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 no. And whether that was because of Washington or not, um, who, I don't know, but apparently you like, you didn't actually go out and get signatures and make speeches. It was just like people voted. Yeah. Uh, based on, you know, who you were and you were always like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Yeah. The founding, these people in Congress at the time, it's no different than what we have now. Right. <laughs> really? It's not yep. that different. Um, so, They've been, yeah, basically screwed Arnold out of a promotion. Arnold, of course, he eventually petitioned and it was denied. Uh, Meanwhile, the British went on the offensive in Connecticut. Arnold took 500 men and drove back the British. Because of his hasty and successful mission and defense, he was promoted to major general. So that was quick skim over. Basically, he was petitioning to get his promotion and then fighting broke out. He's like, I must go. And yeah. Another successful mission for Benny. Yeah. Yep. So Congress gave him this rank, but did not restore his seniority over the five men who were promoted before him. Basically, because these guys were promoted sooner. They have seniority. Uh, Washington and Arnold were both bothered by this. Washington promoted him to command Peekskill, a key area by the Hudson River. Arnold agreed. Before he was to take command, he wanted the charges cleared against him made by Brown, which was still going on about that Montreal plundering. He produced many documents supporting his financial claims in Quebec and that he was to be reimbursed for his personal funding. 
Congress disagreed and stated that he actually owed them (laughs) $9,000. Just as this debate was going on, the British attacked Ticonderoga and took over the fort. They asked specifically for Arnold's help in the battle. So he dropped what he was doing and rode out to Ticonderoga. They ended up having to surrender the fort. So after he, he tried to fight at Ticonderoga again, he came back and he's like, screw it, man. Like, I'm done. I'm resigning my commission. I'm done. Washington and John Hancock ignored this letter. He actually wrote a letter to everybody. He's like, I'm done. They ignored it and instead teamed up and forced Congress's hand to dropping the drawn brown charges, stating that they needed Benedict in order to win the war. Benedict, again, because he uh, retired before, he again revoked his resignation and joined back up. So this is not the first time he's tried to get out because of all the bullshit he's gone through. Um, time goes on. General Schuler gets court-martialed for abandoning Ticonderoga um, when it was being attacked. Uh, Schuler's the one that really likes Benedict. Um, so he's out. General Gates is in. The battle for New York is hot right now. The British had taken several key forts, and the Americans were mounting a retaliation. Mm-hmm. Gates accepted Arnold's rank but didn't love him because Gates didn't like Schuler and Arnold and him were on really good terms. So the British were headed to Albany to attack and Gates put Arnold in charge of New York and Connecticut militia. It was worth mentioning at this point that Gates' approach to war, what we said before about Delaware River, was timid and defensive. He didn't really want to go out and like make it happen. He was more like, let's just hold what we have. This is fine. And we'll figure it out tomorrow. He was the one that told Washington not to cross the Delaware River. Right now, what's going on is the Battle of Saratoga. The British approached with 7,000 men. 9,000 American soldiers planted themselves opposite. Benedict was at the helm. The British began setting troops in on attack from different angles and different areas of farmland. The fighting was intense. General Gates was boarded up at his HQ. Arnold led his men into the thick of the fighting. One man described Arnold, quote, riding in the front of the lines, his eyes flashing, pointing with his sword to the advancing foe with a voice that rang clear as trumpet and electrified the line. Arnold became outnumbered due to the British tactics and with his voice in action and quick thinking led him and his men largely escaping further death to fight another day. He retreated and urged Gates to send more men. Gates refused. Arnold went and gathered 300 volunteers. Gates then approved, but did not send his own men out to battle at all during the whole fight. Benedict would go on to push back the British, and other officers loved him, and his men loved him. Gates was extremely jealous and vindictive. He was the leader on paper, but the men loved and admired Benedict far more. Gates went on to decommission Arnold's rank and gave it to a new general. Arnold was pissed and wrote a scathing letter to Gates, finally asking to be released to go work with General Washington, something he felt would allow him to best serve his country. Gates refused and instead wrote a letter to him to report to Congress. Arnold's aide would write to Gates, quote, the life and soul of the troops 
is Arnold. To him and him alone is due the honor of our late victory. He enjoys the confidence and affection of the officers and soldiers. They would follow him to conquer or to death. The men formed a petition for Arnold to stay, and he agreed at this point to stay and fight with them, but Gates did not give him command of anything. In fact, General Gates would confine him to a tent. As the British continued to advance, guns blazed, cannons fired, and feet trampled the grounds outside. Arnold was a prisoner to Gates's orders. But Arnold couldn't wait anymore. He broke out, mounted his dark horse, and rushed to the battlefield, passing soldiers, shouting, No man can keep me in my tent today! If I am without command, I will fight in the ranks, but the soldiers, God bless them, will follow my lead. Come on, victory or death. The men cheered. Gates remained in his tent while the battle raged. Arnold would ride to where direction was needed and fight, and then ride to another area to give command and fight. Then he spotted a weak line in the British army that if attacked, would impede their retreat and force a surrender. So without hesitation, he led his men straight into the line. The British men there ran away in terror, but fired one final shot that hit Arnold's horse, killing him. The animal fell, pinning Arnold. Then a musket ball hit Arnold, shattering his leg bone just above his knee. The same leg he injured in Quebec. An American soldier rushed to Arnold's aid with the purpose of bayonetting the German soldier who shot Arnold, and Arnold shouted, Don't hurt him. He did but his duty. He is a fine fellow. Rush on, my brave boys, rush on. (laughs) (laughs) What? So they did. The Americans penetrated the line, and the British forces fell and retreated. The men came back and carried Arnold's bleeding and helpless body off the field. Gates never touched the battlefield, nor did his second-in-command. Gates wrote a report to Congress detailing the American victory. The report made no mention of Benedict Arnold. Gates would go on to be known as the hero of Saratoga. This is the crazy thing about the Battle of Saratoga is it's argued, or it's arguable that Benedict Arnold won that battle for us. Like, you know... Without him, we probably wouldn't have. And without winning the Battle of Saratoga, because the Battle of Saratoga was the turning point of the revolution, really, because at that point, the French took interest and were like, oh, they stand a chance. We're going to invest and we're going to we're going to come to their aid, which through the French support and whatever led to the Battle of Yorktown, which is when General Cornwallis surrendered to Washington. So. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that he got Benedict got snubbed again uh, by Horatio Gates, you know, again, it's like you can't almost can't blame the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he's dealt with a lot of shit. Yeah. And he kept coming back, kept coming back Yep, for the boys, dude. Yeah, for the exactly for the country for his country and his boys. Really? I mean, he he has put up with so much shit that he's tried to quit yeah several times he's been yep. tried to like just i just want to go home like i can barely walk i have gout i have medical issues and i'm still he's like 
people want him there though. The boys yeah. want him there. And George uh, Washington knew his value as well. Yeah, because he's an aggressor, and he Washington seems to be around a room of uh, people that want to just hold. Be yeah, just hold the position. Uh, so yeah, it, it took him a long time to heal after this shattered femur, is what it was. He started to go home. Uh, France and America agreed to a treaty in which France said, "America, you're independent. We like what you're doing. Now we will fight together." Uh, so they became allies against the British. To note, a bunch of American officers were skeptical of this alliance and didn't trust the French. Uh, Congress drew up an oath for all officers to take, pledging allegiance to America and denouncing King George III. Many were reluctant to take this oath and to sign on to work with the French. Congress was also turning against Washington more at this time and wanted to replace him with Horatio Gates uh, because they felt that. Uh, quote, Washington was being treated as a god among the colonists. Hmm. It took Arnold a long time to get to New Haven again, but he only stayed two weeks before his zest for military action got the best of him. He hobbled on crutches to meet Washington at Valley Forge. At this time, Philadelphia was being evacuated by General Clinton uh, of the British following the French entry into the war. Washington needed a strong leader to ensure the safe transfer of power back to the American, uh, back to the Americans of the colony's largest city, home of the Continental Congress. On May 28th, Benedict Arnold was appointed military governor of Philadelphia by General George Washington. Mm. And uh, let me tell you, Corey, Benedict is going into the belly of the beast. In Philadelphia. It's where people want to fucking end him. Fellow Americans in Congress and those he shared battle with want to see him gone forever. So let's just say things are not going to go well for Benedict Arnold. End of part two. You son of a bitch. <laughs> there, there's so much to this. And it's interesting because I think there was, there's more. So the trouble between like, this is just real quick. The trouble between like Horatio Gates and George Washington was a little bit bigger than, obviously that's not our focus of this episode, but like Gates was basically trying to, incite like a private rebellion against Washington because wow. he, I mean, he was sending letters to people. He was, um, you know, he was trying to gain support from anyone he could to overthrow Washington as commander in chief. He wrote a very significant letter to a Thomas Conway who was talking about overthrowing Washington. And that was leaked. It was leaked by Gates, one of his, you know, servants or whatever, one of the people in his court, and then was relayed to Washington himself. So, like Horatio got himself in some some hot water after the Battle of Saratoga because he was he was power hungry. He was drunk on the win, even though it wasn't even him that did it. He told enough. He told the lie enough that he started to believe in himself. He ended up 
Gates ended up resigning from his commission and didn't participate in the war after that. But yeah, crazy. Yeah, man. He was a coward. Yeah, sure. Pretty much. Yep. And I don't know how many other people would have been willing to lay down their fucking life in those types of situations in this time at any time, really. But what a totally, you know, we talk about things that are the same and it seems like the politics are the same regardless of the time, but the war is very different, right? The revolutionary war, there's never going to be a war like that again in this country. I don't think because that was a fight for what we have today. And it wasn't because of the founding fathers that we have what we have today. It wasn't because they declared independence. Now they declared at this point was 1777, Saratoga and all this stuff was, it's been over a year. It was the people that continued to fight and the little militias that came together. It was a very unprofessional army. Yeah. And uh, that's how the war is different. And the fact that these Americans were fighting for America and uh, the idea of America, which, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why they love Benedict so much too, is because he was the best of them. Exactly. But again, it was greed and power hungry, this and that, that ended up pushing him out because he wanted what was right for America. The people around him that were trying to push him out just wanted more of whatever they already had. And I think that's sort of my closing thoughts on this episode is we get pushed a very romanticized version of the revolutionary war in school and in American history. But when you really start to dive into it a little bit more, there's so much more to it. There was so much more backstabbing and behind the scenes bullshit that people had to deal with. And you have good people, right? You've got good people fighting the good fight, but then there's the, there's these guys who arguably who have been made heroes by our history books that really were just in it for themselves. They wanted more of whatever they had and they didn't care, you know, what they had to do to get it. And they vilified people like Arnold who he didn't give a shit about the political structure or who, you know, who was doing this or whatever. He just, he wanted what was best for America. And I think it's important for us to look at that as a lesson for today um, because I think we have a lot of that going on in, in politics right now. And that's why getting inv- sure. more involved politically is so important because we've allowed sort of a stagnant government and we haven't taken part in making our voices heard. And yeah. um, we have to learn from this, the, the genuine part of history, not just what we were taught in U.S. history when we were in high school and middle school and mm. whatever. There's just so much more to it than that. So much more to it. That's a great closing point is that you might think you know history, you know the words Boston Massacre, Revolutionary mm-hmm. War, Civil War, Harper's Ferry. You might hear these things, but you don't. Benedict Arnold was a treasonous bastard. Yeah. yeah I can't, right. You think like, oh, Benedict came from British, the British snuck into our ranks and got intel and went back. And that's not the case at all. That's how I took it until I read this book. He was a patriot who finally had enough. So. Part two, uh, part three is going to be, it's going to get a bit dicey for our Mm. friend. So we'll look forward to closing it out next time. Hell yeah. See you guys next week.